Hello and welcome back to the Together B2B Technology Marketing Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about COVID and we're going to be talking about the channel with Chris Lamborn and Mara McMahon from NetApp. I will let our CTO, John Busby, explain the rest. On today's podcast, we're joined by two wonderful channel leaders from NetApp. We're really interested to hear today about how you're seeing the channel models changing, especially considering the, the, the current situation. Um, we are recording this in the midst of the of the COVID crisis. Um, so we've just, Chris and I, before the call, we're just talking about all the different things that, that, are, that are changing there. It's absolutely fantastic to have both of you join the call. I'll start just by kind of going around the room and, and, and asking for a brief intro from both of you. So Chris, over to you first. Give us a bit of background on, on your history in, in this space and the channel specifically. And what are you passionate about? Yeah, John, thank you. I think uh, Chris Lamborn here. Uh, NetApp, my responsibility is leading our overall partner go-to-market and all of our programs um, across our partner ecosystem. I've been at NetApp coming up to five years now. And prior to that was a a term in Brocade and also in NetApp for those that remember it. And I think for me, what's key um, and what keeps me kind of energized and excited is our partners and is the fact that the channel is the basis by which most organizations in this industry are successful. And also the dynamic movement across the channel as well, Um, whether it be partners developing themselves, partners looking to take on new challenges and new technologies, or how we as vendors, as technology emerges and transforms, adapt our businesses to work with our partners closer. Um, so really an exciting time and, and, and pleased to spend some time talking to you about it. Awesome. And I, th- I think that's so important today. And so I'm, I really want to make sure we drill down into just how those partner models are changing. So thank you very much for joining us, Chris, and really looking forward to your view. So Mara, over to you. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, and w- what's your passion in this industry? Sure. Well, thanks for having me today. My name is Mara McMahon and I'm based in New Jersey. And I head up the Fueled by NetApp program. And what we do is we are focused on helping our partners and our service providers go to market. So, you know, NetApp has a seemingly endless supply of of technical folks who can help our partners and service providers figure out what the right technology is and how it works and all of those things. What Fueled by NetApp does is, as part of the Pathways organization, we help the partners understand how to make money from NetApp technology. So I'm entirely focused on the business side of the world uh, and not the technology side. I'm not a technologist at all. I'm uh, much more on the business side and marketing, and uh, we focus on maximizing our partner's return on investment. That's awesome. I think we can just jump straight into it from there. The partner models are changing. We know they've been changing for a long time. So Mara, let's start there. What's the transition of change and the, and the pace of change that you've seen partners go through recently? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think that uh, like so many things in the world, and Chris, you'll just have to bear with this. If we use Apple as an example, they have the Genius Bar. And the whole thing behind the Genius Bar at Apple is to help people be successful in their use of Apple technology. If you pick up an iPhone and you just use it as a phone, that's a really expensive phone. 
But if you use it for all kinds of things in your daily life, your banking, your appointment setting, your uh, voice recordings, your memos, all of that, it turns into something that is really, really valuable and a deep part of your life. Well, if we extend that to uh, the technology world in terms of businesses, it's really the same thing, right? We need to help our partners be successful with our technology. And in the past, I, I worked at service providers for almost 20 years, like Tata Communications, Verizon, Cable and Wireless. And when I was doing those jobs at those places, we would buy technology and the technology vendor would come in and say to us, hey, here's the technology, here's how you work it. And we would say, yeah, but how should we take this to market? And they'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. That's your job. That's your specialty. That's what you do. And it just seems like we're now at a point in time where that is not the case. Um, just one more thing around that. In the 1970s, a professor at Harvard said, customers don't want to buy drills. They want to buy holes. And that's what our partners want to do, right? They're not interested necessarily, and this may sound terrible, they're not necessarily interested in selling technology. They're interested in making money. So what we need to do is help them make money. The, the genius bar approach to, to, to partners, I think that's something so topical. We're seeing a lot of trends in it at the moment from a together perspective. We're seeing much more of a drive towards concierge type programs where, you know, essentially we are becoming that genius bar for partners to help them make better holes. So, Alex, what are your thoughts on some of what Mara has gone through? From a, the, the viewpoint of, of where you're supporting your partners to, to make money. I think it's the requirements across so many different partner types, across different sizes of partners, how engaged they are with you, how much they're willing to learn, and, and how that changes across the states in the US, let alone multiple countries around the world. It's just, you know, how do you do that at any sort of scale? Or, or you know, what type of things are you putting in place to enable your own teams and the people that work with you and for you so they can show partners of all types that this is possible. Just kind of be great to get your thoughts on that. It's a great question. It really is. And honestly, I don't think that there is a simple answer. I don't think that there's magic fairy dust that we can go sprinkle out there and just be like, oh, here's how it works and it's all done. The point of this is, is that it is for, as you said, some partners who want the assistance. Some partners are really in their own jive and they're moving along and they, they're all good, right? Other partners really want that insight and that assistance and the, the sort of consulting or advisory type of help. So my answer to this is in terms of how do you scale, we are looking at this being more surgical from the standpoint of focus. So in the past, we kind of threw it out and it's available to anyone and everyone and first come, first serve. And it we still are available to everyone, but the focus and the surgical um, attention is going to go to those that are really invested in 
uh, taking the content and working with us. We will work with them and they will work with us. It's got to be a two way street. And together we will um, build more profitable businesses, new lines of revenue, um, different ways of going to market to increase demand gen, things like that. So uh, the answer to the question for us right now is that we are going to be more focused on the partners that are really able to dig in and uh, make it a two-way conversation where we work together to help one another achieve more revenue for everybody, right? It truly is meant to be a win-win situation. We win when our partners sell more and they win when they sell more. So um, it goes hand in glove there. In terms of the other folks, we will have um, lots of online content. We will have the ability to do, um, uh, you know, meetings like this, which is, you know, phone-based and and uh, Zoom-based meetings for them, instead of uh, going and just traveling and sitting down with them for a day at a time, and then we never see them again. So it'll be um, scaled back in terms of maybe the in-person side of it, but it will be more content in, that they will have access to online, as well as uh, you know, phone calls and Zoom-based meetings and things like that. And and I think as well, to put it into perspective, if you look across the entire kind of transformation that everybody's seen, you know, whether you're talking about cloud, whether you're talking, and I believe with COVID, it's been accelerated, different financial models, different consumptive solutions. Everybody's trying to work out how to adapt. I don't think there's any, I speak to my peers regularly, and usually after the first first sentence, the second one is, so how are you structuring your sales organization now? At NetApp, you know, we're fortunate that we led the way with the transition with the cloud. Um, we've led the way with um, the Fuel by NetApp program that we inherited on our acquisition of SolidFire. Um, and really where we set our stage is around having specialist teams that can help support it. You know, we have a dedicated cloud sales organization. Why? Because A, it's where we see um, as a software organization that transformation needing to help partners and customers. We have this Fuel by NetApp dedicated organization to help companies who are building their own consumptive solutions and how to profit from that. And then at the same time, with our Keystone consumption solution, we have a team of financing focused individuals who are able to go and help partners through that transition. Because the reality is everybody is having to change their business models, their coverage models, and educate all the way through at the same time as keeping their regular business running. And so that's why I think, you know, to your comments before, as vendors, we have a responsibility to lead partners through this transition. And you have to pick the critical elements of that transition and make it available for all. But with everything, we really focus on those that engage and those that really as their businesses want to transform as well. Are those partners mostly already sort of service orientated or are, are there a real mix of those who are seeing the need to change 
and are you know have close partnership with you you know from a resale point of view and, and wanting to co-create new services proactively yeah no i think it's interesting it's an interesting concept because you know we're fortunate with netapp netapp's always been a partner-led services organization so you know our whole driver is to help partners grow out their own services with that said a large number of our partners have built out what i would class as more traditional services so the managed services built around supporting your traditional infrastructure we have many partners that have started to envelop the public cloud and envelop that type of as a service consumptive solution um, as part of their service piece. But I think it's probably more in the minority of the partners that are really investing in driving that full end-to-end services orientated solution. However, it's probably the most aggressive growth area that we are seeing with partners seeing it as a necessity to transform. And as we know in the marketplace, there's a lot of acquisition happening. There's a a lot of um, investments in certain parts of businesses. And this is most definitely, you know, where we see that critical area. What I'm hearing is they've got to want to make this change first. Like it has to come from deep within them. And this is a conversation we've been having, I think for the entire time I've been in the channel, which is, you know, who are those cloud first partners? How can I identify them? How can I train those that don't understand? How can I move them to value-based pricing, et cetera, et cetera. So from what the first thing I'm hearing is it, it feels like they really want to make that transition. The next thing I guess is, how can you what can you do? What do they need to be ready for the transition? Let's say they want it. What what are the what are the two or three things um, that you know you would recommend they look at to, to be ready for that? I think it is good for somebody to understand where the services fall in their strategy, right? Their overall business strategy. And so things like return on investment and margin, EBITDA, EBIT, whatever they're looking at, right? Every every organization sort of has their own set of financial metrics that they're looking at. But to understand where and how, first of all, they want the services business to play into their overall financial metrics. And honestly, one of the things that's interesting to me is I came from a very sort of telco background, and we had very pretty much every place I worked, we have very strict requirements around financial metrics. And I assumed wrongly that everybody out there would have the same. And it's really interesting. It depends on the partner, depends on the business, the market that they're in and all of those kinds of things. So that's one of the reasons why when I would walk in, I assumed that they wanted to have a gross margin or a contribution margin of between 60 and 75%. Well, that is just not the truth. So part of what we want to do when we first walk in is understand their business metrics, their outcome metrics, and where they want the services to fall into that. So that would be number one. The second thing that I think is um, most important and for most organizations, I would say is the most difficult thing, and that is to stop selling technology. Somebody comes in the room and I come from SolidFire, 
where we were really, really focused on performance. And I love all those things that technology does and IOPS and guaranteed IOPS and, you know, all of that stuff. And as exciting as that is or was in 2012, 2014, it's honestly a little sleepy today. So what partners need to be selling is the outcomes that they are going to help their customers achieve. So if a partner goes in and says, hey, I've got um, all these great features, right? I've got a knock here and a knock there, and I've got 24-hour services, and I've got all of these features, right? And the customer's like, okay, well, yeah, that that, that sounds good. I, I think I need those things. Yeah, I need that. I need that. And the other guy, yep, he has that and that and that. So I guess what we'll do is just do a price comparison because everybody's got the same set of features. Well, Everybody doesn't have the same set of features because everybody brings their own, whatever that is, special sauce to the conversation. And that special sauce is what enables outcomes to be achieved from one service provider versus a different service provider. And so really getting maniacally focused on that special sauce and what is it that you are going to do to drive outcomes for the customers who come in and buy from the partner. So the transition from selling technology and features to selling business outcomes to your customers. You know, I probably have a list of a bunch of other things, but to me, those are, are probably two of the biggest things that really need to be focused on. I think that's. I think that really sums it down to be something inc incredibly simple. You've got to know your numbers. You've got to know how you're going to track this success. You know, we talk about MRR all the time at the moment, moving across to, to, to service and SaaS-based models. But it's a conversation that comes up almost daily for us here in, in, together, which is, you know, we've got to stop talking about technology. We've got to stop. And that, that's where the sales team are always most comfortable as well. Um, we've got to stop talking about technology and we've got to start looking at outcomes. And I think that's so important um, for every partner to take on board is you've got to think about just how you're structuring your new offerings, how you're building them out, because, you know, it's it's too easy. It's too easy now for all of us to build public cloud offerings that, that, that look the same on the surface. Um, you know, you've got to differentiate deeper. And, and John, I think there's one other piece on that. I think if you look at today, you, know, you hear we're talking about new buyers within the marketplace. And I think this is where part of this need to need to adapt is because most of us in this technology space are used to selling to the data center infrastructure leaders within a company. And now as you move into a cloud space, you move into um, talking with developers who actually couldn't care less where the data is held. As you move across those pieces, actually partners, us as vendors are talking with different people, people that have different interests and aren't necessarily as interested in that initial technology. Yes, ultimately the technology has to work, but I'll give you an example. And you know, with NetApp, we've acquired several organizations to accelerate our cloud business over the last um, 12, 24 months. And we acquired one organization in the Nordics and they've had a phenomenal influence on our software and the development of our software. But the ironic thing is that business was full of developers. And the first thing that the then CEO of the business did was actually take NetApp HCI 
and put it on their premises. And he couldn't quite put it in his office, so he put it next door um, in their data center. And he used NetApp's technologies to connect between the public cloud, which is what they'd been using all day long, and the on-premises HCI box. And he didn't tell anybody else in the organization until six months later when he actually had an all hands and he broke the news to them um, that uh, what he had actually seen is around 35% of their traffic had moved from a public cloud environment into an on-premises environment. And because of that optimization, he'd managed to save X amount of money. Some of those developers actually asked him to go and see the box because they hadn't seen the impact and they didn't believe they would ever be in a position where they'd get the same flexibility and fluidity of data management through an on-premises or a hybrid cloud solution. And so I think, you know, that again is an example of where you're moving if you were going to sell to those developers and tell, sell to them in an environment that was product-based and using speeds and feeds, you probably wouldn't have got past the door. But actually by demonstrating to them and being able to articulate to them that for their business, they can have a fundamental impact on their speed, their efficiency, and also their cost is exactly where they want to be. And then you come into what solves it. You literally answered the question before I asked it, Chris. So th thanks for that. But how, any, any sort of thoughts on how you're enabling them to change the way they they talk to different people. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's an ongoing development. We take a very focused approach against specific verticals because the languages and the conversations are going to be different. Um, yes, by the person you speak to. So all of our marketing material we actually build out now based on personas. So whether you're talking to a developer, whether you're talking to an IT leader, whether you're talking to a CFO, we have talk tracks that take people through that. Um, whether you're going at it from a business point of view, as Mara said, the whole Fuel by NetApp piece is to enable our partners to understand the business side of it. And then you have to balance that because you know many of our partners um, rely on the partner programs and the partner initiatives and the partner incentives. And so when I look at that, our role is to remove any of those perceived boundaries. So with NetApp, as you know, we're deeply entwined with the likes of AWS, um, Google Cloud, and um, Microsoft's Azure and integrated into their environments. And so that means that partners are selling Azure on NetApp through an Azure marketplace. Now that sets up a whole different spinning, spinning wheel, but what we decided to do from day one was to say, as a partner, don't be concerned around where that data ends up. From a programmatic point of view, if you have a goal with us um, as a growth goal, as a growth partner that will pay you money for achieving, we will count revenue whether you take it through AWS, whether you take it through NetApp, um, and we also expand with some of our other partners to be part of that achievement. Because the last thing I want is everybody going down a route of understanding that this is the best solution to then turn around and you know we're all salespeople at heart and say well will i get paid on that and that's a really important piece because you can have as many conversations around business and outcomes and needs but we're all salespeople at the end and whether it's margin 
whether it's a compensation, whether it's an achievement against a tier level, um, you know, that's one of our key philosophies is where, where we're partnering with people, let's make sure that we don't force that decision to be a major one. Okay, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about how partners' models are changing and how and, and approaches they can take. How how is NetApp helping them through that transition? So I think there's, there's several pieces. As I said, our investment in uh, public cloud relationships um, has been a critical part to this. You know, NetApp has most definitely made a transition of our our environment and our organisation to a software and services based um, solution. And the public cloud is a critical part of this because the public cloud is essential to deliver a hybrid cloud solution. And unless you're integrated and we're in the unique situation where we are integrated inside the most um, largest public clouds in the world, that means that you can start to create a different type of environment for partners and for customers. And with our data fabric, environment that enables partners to be moving and managing data irrelevant of where they look at where they want it to sit and you'll have seen from recent acquisitions just this week where we announced acquisitions of vdi software um, come organization and our acquisition a couple of weeks ago of, of talon you know to really start to build this ecosystem for our partners and their customers ultimately to be able to manage that data wherever they want it to be, to optimize with containers, which whilst adoption may in some segments be slower than others is most definitely how people are moving to be able to optimize the movement of applications and critical applications around the workload locations. Then also expanding our financial solutions and we announced in Insight in October, NetApp Keystone, which is a consumptive on-premises solution where NetApp keeps hold of the rights of the products. So that means that those customers that are looking for the new financial solutions without taking the risks, without having it on their books are able to do that. And so if you look at all of these pieces as we've described, whether it's public cloud enablement, whether it's on-premises as a consumptive solution, whether it's the business enablement with our partners to help them build out, whether it's the persona-based marketing to help get the right message to the right people, or as I said, where NetApp's restructured um, our organization to optimize the opportunities with very dedicated, very focused and knowledgeable um, sales teams and support teams. Um, you know, we're very much trying to cover and invest in all those areas. That was a wonderful answer, Chris. There's a couple of things I'd love to dive into there. When we were talking before, you know, I remember you mentioning that NetApp, that their pace of product change is every 18 hours. How do you help partners keep up with that change? The beauty with software is that you can update it constantly without people even really noticing. You know, we do consistent updates for all of our cloud solutions. And so it's not like the traditional days where you had to plan a year ahead and you ran a year ahead and you built up a big change agent and everything like that. You are updating all the time. How many times do you get your app on your phone being updated? You know, everybody every day will have something that gets updated. That's because of the flexibility of being a software um, 
organization. And that's as NetApp transitions and we move more and more of our applications into a software orientated environment. That's again, a way of being able to consistently um, evolve and consistently develop. There's, there's much written around, has COVID been the death of hybrid cloud? Um, no. What COVID has done is COVID has been the accelerator for organizations to need to try hybrid cloud. Why? We have many companies and many of our customers who are not even able to get into their data centers. Some countries where we've gone into lockdown, it's been a flexible lockdown. Um, but take the scenario, as many of you will have experienced, you have a data center and you have somebody that is identified as being COVID positive. What is the first step with most organizations when somebody, an individual is identified as being COVID positive, they shut down the premises. Whether that's to deep clean it or whether that's to shut down in, for a two week period, it is shut down. You go to countries like India and we've got a large part of our organization based out of India and the control is, is, is absolute. And so there are locations where you cannot get people into them. So what does that do? At a time when technology is still expanding, data use is still expanding, that means our customers, if they haven't done before, are trying public cloud, or they're looking to utilize public cloud more. And so what does that mean? That means you have to be able to seamlessly move your data across there because you want to use public cloud without feeling the impact of it. And so what has this actually done? This has accelerated the hybrid cloud opportunity. This has brought to the forefront some of the challenges that people have found historically or concerns historically around moving to an active hybrid cloud environment, which is moving that data seamlessly. And that's where you know, we're in the fortunate position with the technologies NetApp's developed, the relationships we've developed to be able to be at the forefront of that transition and to essentially enable customers to seamlessly move that data and not be concerned about where it sits because of quality or availability, but to be concerned about how it's used and how it's optimized that's an incredible story especially considering the current climate that you know here in the uk and i think in the us we've been quite lucky that we're still able to go out and exercise you know for many many people listening to this podcast you know i'm sure you've some of you may be in stuck stuck inside now for a number of weeks so our thoughts go out to all of you um but there still needs to be data. Data still needs to be managed. We can't all work from home without the work that companies such as yourselves and the partners uh, and the partners supporting those companies do to deploy this infrastructure. Um, and I think that's, from my perspective, it, it's been even more important. It's shown how fragile our world is, but it's also shown just how important the, the internet is to to continue this. If we had this, if we if we've had this lockdown ten years ago, it would have been very very different. In almost every country around the world, children are homeschooling. Most of us are experiencing, and we're loving it as well. For, for the record, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, th I think I think the the um, the respect that many people have for teachers <laughs> um, has has uh, has evolved immensely over the last few weeks. But you just take that as one practical term, and you know many of us are spending our time on conference calls all day long. We're trying to do the right thing and have video. And you talk to people about what influence it is. And I have a couple of, of people on the team and, and they've done some deals with their kids where now they let their kids stay up till midnight so that their kids sleep in till noon 
<laughs> so that they know between 6 a.m. and noon, they've got the best connectivity on the internet they could ever want. And from noon, they very rarely have video calls because by the time the kids are on doing their schooling or they're on doing their 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 virtual chats and or playing their gaming at the weekends, there is a natural impact. You have moved thousands of individuals from being in a single location using traditional methodologies of learning into a virtual environment. And that has a fundamental change. And this hasn't happened over a period of months or years. This has happened globally over eight weeks. And, you know, that's the phenomenal piece. And that's why we've been, you know, working hard with our partners. You know, some of the stories that they tell us around the asks and the needs is phenomenal. Um, we had a, a request from actually one of our technology partners three weeks ago to urgently get some additional hardware for them because one of their key infrastructures was being adopted faster than they'd ever seen it adopt. So, you know, we were able to help them and turn things around and we had people picking up products in the backs of cars and driving it out um, to them and to their locations. But that's how people are needing to react. This is a fundamental change in our industry that has been accelerated by an environment that nobody wanted to see but that really proves, and this is kind of comes to your opening state, a question to me around, you know, what drives me? We have some phenomenal emergency services out there that are doing work that none of us could ever imagine to do. And, and I thank them greatly for that. But to keep all of that running, we ha can't underestimate the work that many of our partners and many of the technology environment has delivered over this time as well to help everything operate and to help everything that people are doing today to work from home um, to happen. And, and I think it's a phenomenal feat by everybody. And I, I look forward to actually um, coming through this and you know keeping that level of momentum, but also keeping some of those different um, ways of engaging with each other that have developed over this time. How difficult is it to convince partners that they should be going down this road? And, and how much do you need to use stories like that to show them that the, the, the value of making, you know, how it makes them more money? I know now is not about, now is not the tone to be talking about making more money in, 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 in certain scenarios, because sometimes it's naturally happening for others and others and other people are really struggling. But you know, if you can kind of convert some of those stories to that, this is how you can help benefit and really help people for for everybody's sake. You know, how much how much is that needed when you're talking to new partners? I, I think it's essential. Um, you know, let's not let's not pretend there's a large amount of phenomenal technology out there in the marketplace. You know, um, I think the the key and the unique that partners are looking for because customers are looking for it is to be able to look at how they best future-proof a technology change that is evolving faster than anybody can keep track on. Um, you know, security is critical at this time. Um, it's become more obvious. You, we've talked about, you know, COVID impact and around the transition to hybrid cloud. But I think what it's also highlighted is the need for um, 
market-leading security across the board. And this isn't just around endpoint security. This is around data security all the way through. And so when you start to look at functionality and capabilities of solutions, it isn't just around uptime and availability anymore. You know, it's around how, if you needed to, can you roll back your environment by two hours to when you last knew it was fully secure and fully safe and redeploy that instantly and securely. And that's where, you know, with with NetApp, our solutions around you know, uh, our ONTAP um, solutions enable that to occur. And so you, you're looking at these different aspects of the same world and different interpretations of when we just said security to somebody probably four or five months ago, you'd have been talking about an endpoint security. Now, actually, and everyone knew about on you know the, the data security, but now that's become even more important than ever. We, we have examples of where customers have needed to redeploy an entire um, application ecosystem, which they'd found and identified an issue with, which with NetApp's Active IQ, it had identified that there was a potential security threat. They'd gone in, they'd identified it as true, and they'd been able to roll back their data to a few hours almost instantly and then carry on their business as they were to then rectify. And, and I think those are critical pieces. Chris, I couldn't agree more. And I think during and after the whole COVID crisis, it is required for us to communicate what it is that somebody is going to get on the other side of the purchase. If we leave that open, they may buy something and go entirely in the wrong direction, get frustrated and never ever come back to you. So leading a customer, a, a customer of a partner's, right? So the, the end customer, having a partner lead them to the conclusion of what they can achieve, then if they want to edit that achievement or that outcome, then let them edit that, but take them all the way to the endpoint. So using a word like you're going to be more agile, that's crap. You got to do the homework and take them all the way to the endpoint. What does that mean? Well, it means that we worked with a bank and they went from doing dozens of code releases to doing 5,000 code releases in five months. Whoa. Okay. I get that. I don't need to do that, but I can edit it for me. When we were planning this podcast, we were talking very much about how partners were moving to service-based and value-based pricing, how they were moving to building their own offerings out, what the transition to the cloud looked like. Now, in the midst of everything that's happened out in the world, I think, you know, and I, and I, and I really wasn't thinking this when we, when we started recording, but if we were to give partners a few takeaways on how do you need to change how you sell? How do you need to change how you approach your marketing? How do you need to change how you price? What would be what would be your three key takeaways? And Mara, I'm going to start with you. Uh, so I think it comes back to being aware of your numbers, right? And, and what the business outcomes that you want to achieve and then finding the right strategy for fulfilling that. Um, not all services are created equal and having a, a simple uh, 
single metric that applies to all services does not make sense. And so to approach it strategically and understand some services are going to have higher margins, some services are going to have lower margins, and that's okay. That is okay for it to be that way. Um, so that's the, the first one, and that has a lot to do with your pricing, right? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the outcome, but the outcome has a lot to do with um, deciding what that pricing is. Uh, the second thing is, uh, as I said before, just stop talking about technology and features and make sure that you develop stories that bring you all the way to the outcome, the specific outcome, not just any outcome, but a specific outcome that a specific customer or customers achieved as a result of buying the partner services. And the last thing that I would do is really focus on making sure that the salespeople feel very comfortable in telling the story, right? Instead of talking about features, make them storytellers. They need to be professional storytellers of real world examples that have happened through and by that specific partner service. I absolutely love that. I couldn't, and I could not agree more. Outcomes and stories are so, I mean, this is coming from a marketing company, right? So we're obviously going to love to tell stories, but the, you know, I think it's, it's not about it, it, all the stories, Chris, that you were going through before, all of those elements where you brought that that solution to life. It's so important that that we understand the impact we have. I always say with my team, you've, we've got to start with why. Um, you know, you've got to start with why are we doing this? Not not the how, not the what, and you know, not not the other elements about how we're going to get to that end goal. But you've got to start with you know, what's the real reason why we're deploying this technology, and what's the difference we're going to make? So I could not agree more, and absolutely love love storytelling in there as well. So Chris, over to you. What are your what were your three takeaways on on how we can sell, how we can market, and how we can how we can price better? Yeah, I think for me, you know, don't stop selling. It's really easy. Um, when you're not going out and seeing people to think that people don't need your help. In the same way that, as we've described, organizations are going through change, change either that had planned or they had differently. So as individuals within our partners, don't stop selling, but understand the customer situation because a customer that may have been working with you to develop their data center and to buy on a CapEx model may not have those finances anymore, but they still have that need. So understand how an organization and how a customer is being focused on financially. Many, many organizations are relooking at their um, OPEX budgets, are relooking at where they spend and what they spend. It doesn't mean they don't want to. It means they need you as a partner to go in and look at it in a different way. And also look at how you can optimize and secure existing environments. A lot of people get caught up with trying to sell new, sell more, sell sell pieces like that. We actually put out a paper for our partners to be able to go into their existing customers just to ensure they've optimized the security within their ONTAP system. And with our Active IQ, we're actually proactively pushing out to partners where we believe their customers may have risks. And I'd say the third thing for myself is spend some time to develop social selling skills you know this is not going to go away quickly 
we are not all going to be going and having coffee in some coffee shop in three weeks time. Yes, we'll start to move. And the great news is we're seeing that movement happening, but it's going to be a different type of selling for a relatively long period of time and a period of time that nobody knows. So go and really develop yours and your team's social selling skills. And we've actually partnered with a company called Mercer McKay, and we've developed um, some social selling guidance. Um, we've loaded it online at netapp.com and it's free. It's non-branded so people can use it wherever they wish but really to help understand how you need to change the way you sell now that you can no longer go and sit on the corner of somebody's desk and have that conversation, but that you're trying to work out how to do it via social uh, and the terms being spammed socially is now starting to become real. And so how you can do it proactively as well. So don't stop selling, understand the customer situation, optimize what we've got and go out and develop your social selling skills and you'll continue to be successful. Absolutely love that, especially the social selling skills right at the end, Chris. I guess I've got one last question and, I, and I'll keep this really short. Like what's, given all of the changes you're seeing in the market and this can be pre-COVID or post-COVID, what's the most inventive thing a partner has done that's really stood out to you? I wouldn't pinpoint to a single case, but what I have seen is the most successful partners are the ones that have developed their selling focus to the persona and the requirements of the individuals of the new buyers than continuing to hammer on the traditional. And you look at the organizations that have invested in people in their companies that they never would have thought of before. Who would have thought that a partner would have invested in 25 data scientists. The most successful partners helping customers drive AI-orientated outcomes are the ones that have those resources. Why? Because there's not many of them out there and customers need that type of really in-depth help and information. Mara, any any last comments from you? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a slightly different way into the same house that Chris just talked about, right? I'm coming in the side door here. Chris went in the front door, but it's specificity. Partners out there who are trying to be a little bit of something to everyone end up being pretty much nothing to most. So, you know, instead of trying to be an ocean that's a meter deep, I think they should work on being a river. Right. You know where it starts, you know where it ends, you know where it goes everywhere in between. And world economies have been built around that forever since humans were around. So go out and be a river. Pick your area of specificity and be the best damn provider of that area around. We've we've started with a great analogy and we've ended with that was amazing. No, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Samara, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. It's been an absolute thank pleasure you. interviewing thank both you. of you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you.